Have you always wanted to follow the glitzy glamour of Formula One, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you just finished Netflix's documentary, Formula One Drive to Survive, and you're looking for a community of new F1 fans. Either way, you've come to the right place. I'm Jared, and I'm joined by Lucas, and we're going to explain the basics of Formula One to you so that you can follow and engage with us in our F1 discussions. If you like this content, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube or Apple Podcasts. And tweet at us at you thought media so that we know what content to make in the future. Lucas, why don't you start out by telling us about some of the teams that are competing? Yeah, sounds good. Happy to be here with everyone talking some F1. So we'll start off with the team that is inarguably the best team in Formula One right now, and that is Mercedes. Um, they've been the dominant team for the last half decade or so. They've won the Constructors' Championship every year since 2014. And they're headlined by driver Lewis Hamilton, who is a six-time world champion. Uh, five of those championships have been won while he's been at Mercedes, won one with McLaren back in the day. And he's partnered by Finnish driver Valtteri Bottas. And Jared and I, we're going to go through all the teams here and they give you an American sports comparison so you sort of know who you're rooting for if you choose to root for a certain team. So Mercedes, they're the New England Patriots. Yeah. Not historically <laughs> the most dominant team, but in the past, few decades or so they've been the best hard to beat every year in it just like the patriots have been so not a lot of history but at the present the best team yeah next up uh i'll be talking about red bull so they were the dominant force in formula one in the early 2010s they won the constructors championship every year from 2010 to 2013 they were an upstart team a little before that um their driver sebastian vettel won the Drivers' Championship every year during 2010 to 2013 as well. They've fallen off a lot, a little bit in the past few seasons. They were third, um, but Max Verstappen um, is their headline driver. He's arguably the most talented natural driver in Formula One. Just doesn't always have the engine to compete with the Mercedes guys in every race. Yeah. And their other driver is an exciting young talent named Alex Albon, who came in halfway through last season. And if we're talking American sports comparisons. I'm going to go the Miami Heat on this one. So they were dominant earlier in the decade, slowed down a little bit, but now they're sort of fun, young, and exciting again. Yeah. So if you're thinking Red Bull, you're thinking the Miami Heat. (laughs) That's a good comparison. Um, Next up, we got Ferrari, Scuderia Ferrari. They're they're kind of the equivalent of Notre Dame or Texas football. I like the Notre Dame football reference a little better. Because everyone always wants to say they're back. Uh, And to be fair, they usually are one of the best teams. But they haven't won a Constructors' Championship since 2008. They haven't had an individual driver win the Drivers' Championships since 2007 when Kimi Raikkonen did it. Um, Their current drivers are Sebastian Vettel, who's the Red Bull four-time driver champion, and Charles Leclerc, who's the new face of Ferrari. He's a rising superstar. He's from Monaco, so he uh, should be good at racing, naturally. Next up, we got McLaren. Um, I kind of think McLaren, they're like the Oregon Ducks kind of football team. They're the fun team, I think. They they had their best success when they were in the 80s, especially the late 80s and early 90s when they won four championships in a row, Constructors' Championships. They had legendary drivers. You probably heard Alain Prost, and you've definitely heard of Ayrton Senna. Um, th- those were McLaren drivers. Now they have drivers Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, and they're the jokey, smiling-a-lot drivers, so... Yeah, they're kind of the fun team, I would say. Tell us about Renault, though, Lucas. 
All right, so Renault is the only uh, French team. They're based in Paris. They lost one of the Constructors' Championship back in 2006 when Fernando Alonso won the Drivers' Championship racing for Renault that year. But they've sort of fallen off since then, always sort of jostling around the best of the rest position. And the best of the rest is the team that finishes in fourth, mm-hmm. at least for the past decade or so, as uh, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari usually occupy those top three spots. Yeah. Uh, they have good drivers, uh, though Daniel Ricciardo was previously third in the world when he raced for Red Bull, and Esteban Ocon, who's an up-and-coming driver. And if I were to compare them to a American team, I'm going to choose the Detroit Pistons. They're historically <laughs> pretty decent, you know, especially in the, the engine making. They, they never really, as a constructor, have been super dominant, but they provided the force behind a lot of winning teams back in the day. And then they had a very brief blip of greatness in the mid-2000s, just like the Pistons did, but since then it's just sort of jostled around in mediocrity. <laughs> so another team, um, there are 10 teams in Formula 1. The next up is Haas. So they're one of the newest teams in Formula 1. And they're the first American-based team in decades. Their peak came back in 2018 when they finished fifth in the Constructors' standings. But they slipped back really far last year to second to last and ninth. Their drivers are Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. Magnussen is probably the better of the two. Um, And he's the one that carries a team usually if they get points. And if we're looking for an American comparison, I'm going to go the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) I'd say there's lots of hype. They've got like that sort of like American cockiness to them, and they sometimes can deliver. Like back in 2018, when they like were close to being best of the rest. Yeah. But it's probably just a lot of noise. Like it's gonna be with the Buccaneers this year. They've had flashes, but I don't really think they have what it takes to make it. So Jared, how about you tell us about Racing Point? So Racing Point is the pink car. Uh, people are calling them the pink Mercedes this year because they're currently embroiled in a cheating scandal as they've copied the design of the 2019 Mercedes car, their uh, Renault is specifically protesting the brake ducts. Um, they used to be called Force India, if you watch the Netflix documentary. The drivers are Lance Stroll, whose dad is a billionaire and owns the team. That's why he has the seat, uh, though he does hold his own. And their other driver is a very skilled driver from Mexico, Sergio Perez. Um Honestly, if we're looking at a comparison, it's got to be the Spygate Patriots. I hate to give another Patriots one, but I, I don't know if I, their racing point's not really one of my favorite teams. Um, so we'll see. They're a new brand. They're going to be Aston Martin next year to try to like get a little bit more brand loyalty and things like that. Next up, though, we have Williams. They, they're the Cleveland Browns. They're, they're considered the worst team uh, by a long shot, and fairly rightly so. But believe it or not, Williams won five Constructors' Championships in the 90s and four in the 80s. So they actually used to be really dominant, but um, now they're yeah they're, they're the Cleveland teams, really. Cleveland Browns, specifically. Next up, we have Alfa Romeo. They're, they're the San Diego Padres because they're just completely irrelevant. Uh, they're they're <laughs> probably the most irrelevant team. The Formula 1 documentary really doesn't <laughs> focus on them at all. Noteworthy, they have former world champion Kimi Raikkonen, um, who is known for not just really not caring at all about uh, press or anything like that, and they call him the Iceman because of that, which is pretty funny, but um, they're they're pretty irrelevant, not going to lie. And for the 10th and final team, Lucas, take it away. So first, before we get started, I've heard, you know, Netflix has a vendetta against Alfa Romeo, so ah. that might be why, not the, not the irrelevancy. Interesting. Who really knows? <laughs> okay. So 
We're going to finish it off with another team that begins with Alpha, though spelled a little bit differently. <laughs> Alphatari. It was known until last year as Toro Rosso. Um, it's one of two teams owned by Red Bull. Toro Rosso literally translates to Red Bull in Italian. But they rebranded this year and decided to name themselves after Red Bull's fashion label, which I didn't even know existed wow. until <laughs> I was doing research for this video. Same. So it was founded in 2006, so an up-and-coming team. The highest they've ever finished uh, was in sixth in 2008 and last year in 2019. Their two drivers are Pierre Gasly, who's formerly of Red Bull, but just switched spaces with Alex Albin last year, and Daniel Kvyat, who is a Russian driver. So they're basically a feeder system for the uh, Red Bull team in many ways, uh, like in which they just like shepherd their drivers in between those two because they're both owned by the Red Bull company. So I gave my comparison as New York City FC a soccer reference, which is just a wholly owned club by Manchester City, the English soccer <laughs> team, and just feeds them players and is pretty recently founded. Nice. So with that, um, we've wrapped up all 10 teams, and we're going to get a little bit more into the intricacies and nuances of how Formula One racing scoring championships works. So we'll start off with how many drivers there are per team. The absolute like baseline level of understanding Formula One. And if you didn't pick up on that before with us talking about the individual teams, each team gets two drivers. So for AlphaTauri, for example, it's Pierre Gasly and Daniel Kvyat. Um, for Renault, it's Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon. So each driver gets two teams. And they compete for points. So the top ten places each get points. Um, and drivers who finish 11 through 20 get no points. First place gets 25 points, second gets 18, third gets 15, fourth gets 12, fifth gets 10, sixth gets eighth, sixth gets eight, <laughs> seventh gets sixth, eighth gets four, ninth gets two, and tenth gets one. And whoever runs the fastest lap in each race also gets an extra point added on top. So throughout the year, drivers accumulate these points in all of the races they run. Yep, and then they use those points to determine the two championships. There's two championships basically each year. The first championship is the driver's championship where using the point system that Lucas just explained, the drivers compete to gain the most points throughout the season. Um, the other championship is the constructors, which is the team championship. So they you just add up the points of the two drivers, and the team with the most points wins the constructors' championship. Yeah, and each year uh, they race somewhere between 19 and 21 races. The numbers fluctuated a little bit in recent years, but usually hit somewhere in that 19 to 21 range. They have races all across the world on every continent but Africa and Antarctica. It would be pretty hard to have a race in Antarctica. That makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Uh, but this year there are only 10 scheduled because of the coronavirus pandemic, and all of them are in Europe. Yeah. they Originally this year they were supposed to have the most ever, which would have been 22, um, I, I believe. Formula One is still trying to schedule a couple more races outside of Europe, but yeah, it's yet to be determined. Okay, so how does a race weekend go? So they call them race weekends because races are always on Sundays, and then there's practice on Fridays and qualifying on Saturday. So the way that qualifying rate, uh, works is it's a, it's, a time it's a time trial. There's three sessions. The first, they're all called Q1, Q2, Q3. The first se session... Q1, all 20 drivers at some point or another will go around the track trying to set the fastest laps. So the five drivers with the slowest times in that session will be eliminated from qualifying, and they'll be assigned places 16 through 20 on the starting grid. 
So basically, Q1 lasts 18 minutes, and you're trying not to be one of the five slowest drivers, essentially. Then they, they have a little break. Then they go to Q2, which is the same thing, but there's only 15 minutes, 15 drivers, and the five slowest cars are eliminated again and assigned a place. Then Q3, you're absolutely trying to set the best lap possible to be to determine your starting grid position. This one only lasts 12 minutes. There will only be 10 drivers. And the fastest car will start in the first position on the grid, which is called pole position. So if you hear them referring to that, that's what that means, is they started first if they were on pole position. Now let's get into some of how the actual Sunday race functions. Um, so first I'll talk a little bit about tire selections. All the tires are made by one manufacturer called Pirelli. The team, each team can use 13 sets of dry tires for the entire weekend for each driver. Um, you'll see uh, graphics like on the side that there's three types of dry weather tires. In reality, there's five different compounds, but Pirelli only chooses three of those five for each race to keep it simple. So to, to summarize, the three tires are softs, mediums, and hards. So softs are the ones that have the red ring around them. They are sticky, so they have a lot more grip, and they can pull the car faster. That's why, the, that's why it goes faster. But since they have more grip and are sticky, they leave more rubber on the track, and they deteriorate faster. So you have to make no more stops if you use the softs. The mediums are in between, obviously, and then with a yellow band around them. And the hards have a white band around them, and they're less grippy but a little more durable. So they're a little slower, but they will last more laps overall. And all the dry tires, the softs, mediums, and hards in general are called slicks because if you look at the tires, they're super smooth. There's no, basically no tread on them like a road car would have, like a, a typical car. But that's when you get into the, if it's raining, you use wet weather tires and they, they have a tread similar to a road car so that they don't slide a bunch basically. The blue, the ones with a blue ring around them are called full wets and then the ones with the green are intermediates, which are somewhere in between wets and and dry tires essentially and then during a race the cars must use at least two different compounds of tires so you have to go you have to stop at least once obviously to go from soft to medium or a hard to a soft or anything like that um, some other strategies new technology relatively new technology is called you might hear them talk about drs and drs stands for drag reduction system so like, like I said, it's a relatively new F1 invention and it opens up the back flap of the car and lets your car go quicker because it, redu it reduces wind resistance. And the car goes about six to seven miles per hour faster on the straights. Um, in order to, there's rules about when you can use DRS. In order to use it, you must be within one second of the car in front of you. And this includes, includes cars that you've lapped as well, by the way. Um, but there's a DRS detection zone that's marked on the track and in that zone, if you're within a second of the driver in front of you, you can use DRS. And the DRS can only be applied in certain moments of the track as well, which are usually long straights on the track, basically. So the F1 driver has a button on a steering wheel that he um, presses and holds to use, and then they get like six to seven miles an hour faster. Um, it can only be used, as I said, in the marked zones, and only after two laps of the race have started. Um, the reason they have DRS is because of dirty air, essentially, uh, is a term. I'm not a physics major, you know, so I don't know all the all the physics on how this works, but basically the cars are so complex and have so many different vertices on the car that it disrupts the air and makes it, it tugs the car behind during corners, the car behind suffers. 
So they used DRS to compensate for that, essentially, because there wasn't a lot of overtaking in F1 for a little bit. So that's why they want more overtaking. That's what that's what people want to watch. So that's why they added the drag reduction system. Um, when you're on the straights as well, it's it's if you ever seen if you ever played Mario Kart, you know you draft off of cars when you're in the straights because you get you have less air resistance. The car in front is basically pushing all the air out of the way, and you have clean air to ride through. So uh, that's kind of the difference between the slipstream, dirty air, and the drag reduction system. What about penalties though, Lucas? How does that work? I, I'm glad you bring it up because, first off, I appreciated the Mario Kart reference. It's how Jared <laughs> and I first got into riding yeah. and driving, and you know, it's led to this F1 passion all the way down the road. But unlike Mario Kart, there are rules in Formula One, and you can get penalized <laughs> if you don't follow them. So, some of the things you can be um, inside for a penalty are starting prematurely, speeding in the pit lane, causing an accident, blocking someone unfairly, or ignoring any of the flags that get put out. So if you're given one of these penalties, uh, you can either get a 5 or 10 second penalty depending on the severity of the infraction you commit. If it's earlier on in the race, usually it'll be enforced when a team takes their pit stop to change tires like Jared had talked about before. And what they'll do is before they make any of the changes that they need to, you'll sit for 5 seconds or 10 seconds and then your whole crew can get started changing out tires and making whatever other changes are necessary. If it's towards the end of the race or if you just want to choose to have it enforced in this way, they can just deduct five or ten seconds from your total time at the end of the race. And you actually saw this in the most recent Formula One race in which Haas got um, a deduction uh, for some illegal radio communication, I think it was, and it dropped their driver, Kevin Magnuson, from ninth to tenth because he took that yeah. uh, deduction. So those are the penalties. How do safety cars work, Jared, when there's accidents or something like that? Yeah, so when a safety car, when an accident happens, there's debris on the track and they need time to clear it. So the safety car comes out to slow everybody down so that the race stewards have time to clear the track, as well as the fact that it's dangerous to to be going at full speed when there's debris or possibly even a full car on the track. Um, so the laps, when the safety car comes out, all no cars can overtake anymore. You have to slow down. Um, cars that are lapped can unlap themselves as well if um, if the race stewards deem that to be necessary. Um, so basically, the safety car wipes out. If you have a if Lewis Hamilton has a minute lead, that lead just completely vanishes because they they all group back together and he, and they don't they don't say all right, Lewis, you get one minute ahead, then we let everybody else go. No, uh, you're 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 back you're back in a um, bunched up. So this makes the race a little more exciting when this happens. That that's definitely for sure when the safety car is deployed. Um, You'll see also drivers will like zigzag the car to, to keep the tires warm because the tires function better at warmer te- uh, temperatures. Finally, when the, the track is clear, the safety car goes into the pits and racing resumes. Um, the laps, the laps uh, do count when the safety car's out there. So a, a race technically could end on a safety car if the safety car came out on like lap 68 and there's only 70 ra- 70 laps, and they didn't clear the track in time, the race would end. Um, so it could, it could be a bad way to end the race, of course, as well. But um, it usually does encourage, it makes the race more competitive. We saw that this year in the Austrian Grand Prix. When the safety car came out, that's when all the action kind of happened in the last 11 laps. Um, speaking of ins- excitement, uh, Lucas, why do you give us a pitch on why if you're an american you're like well i don't like nascar why would i like formula one you know what what are your what are some ways that you think you would like formula one better well 
As a former NASCAR fan, and someone <laughs> who's attended a decent number of NASCAR races in my life at Pocono and at Dover, it does pain me to say this a little bit, but I do think Formula One is a more exciting event uh, than NASCAR. It's not just an oval track. Uh, the drivers don't just turn left every time. I know there are a couple of road courses for NASCAR, but it, almost all of the races are just the turning over and over again. Formula One drivers are also usually regarded as the most skilled drivers in the world. The overtaking is crazy. Um, just like watching them have to navigate their cars at such high speeds across turns. It's just a really exciting watch. Overtaking then too is much more quicker and exciting when it happens in a NASCAR. Like I know you see it in NASCAR and it's just like this car is sort of like past each other slowly. Yeah. Um, that being said, there is a little bit less more overtaking in NASCAR or in Formula One than in NASCAR. Um, but all the other sort of parts of Formula One, I think, contribute to making it a better overall experience. And I'm not the only one who thinks that because <laughs> it has a ton of fans around the world and there is a ton of money involved yeah. in Formula One. According to Forbes in the 2017 season, the most recent uh, year I could find data on, the team spent a combined $2.6 billion on their racers, on wow. their cars, on transportation. And getting them around the world and showing off for fans. And they can do it because of prize money they get from races, all the merchandise they sell, and just general money they bring in. Plus, people also invest uh, their personal fortunes oftentimes in these teams to help make them better. You see that with Gene Haas and the Haas team mm -hmm. um, in Formula One now who have recently started. Better teams, though, usually have bigger budgets because they've been historically successful or have some big investment. They can spend more, and so it does sometimes create like a, a haves and a have-nots because Mercedes, you win once, you get all that money and attention, you can just build your car better and better. But, you know, teams rise and fall. Like Jared said, Williams was the best team in the world for a while, and now they're consistently in last place <laughs> every single year and can't seem to figure it out. So, yeah. you know, there's still a lot to watch for and a lot to pay attention with. I think I think if you like the aesthetic of like international sp spy thrillers, aka like James mm -hmm. Bond, where there's like a lot of rich money, like glamour, international locations, then then you'll like F1. I think. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They're all around the world. Yeah. it's like very like yeah glamorous, like you said, like the Monaco Grand Prix every year is just like right. such a, a glamorous event. And you know, Jared and I will make it there someday. Exactly. You know, with, with all the funds from our podcast, actually. <laughs> So, yeah. but with that, speaking of our podcast and growing our podcast, we'd love again if you subscribed on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, wherever you get our podcasts, and subscribe to our new YouTube channel. We're starting experimenting, posting videos. Um, we have a couple up there now about Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and about the English Championship and their race for promotion in the Premier League. So, we'd love it if you check those out. Kept following along with you thought, and we'll talk to you soon.